Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can and will change the world. Over 22 years in uh, servicing one of the communities um, as my role in the SAGE group, uh, one of those communities, one that I have a partic particular fondness for is the risk, resilience, and security industry. And 22 years ago, uh, just so everyone understands that past is prologue, uh, there was uh, a notion in that industry that they were purely a cost center. And um, and this is why I got involved. Um, I have a business background. The security industry was new to me back then. And I said, something's broken here. There needs to be a bridge between these wonderful backgrounds that the security profession had at the highest levels all the way through the troops. So I found at the highest levels, people coming from uh, agencies, from um, law enforcement, from military. Um, uh, but in many cases, not all, but in many cases did not have a business background. And no wonder then they were always struggling to get a seat at the table, if you will, and to um, understand how to justify in business terms what they did. And so uh, in many respects, the great conversation around leadership started with that community. So I have a particular fondness for it. And I love to look at different trends. One of the things I saw at the beginning was it was hard to find good people without stealing them from other companies. So there wasn't anybody coming out of the schools, if you will, that was prepared to take on these roles that had business and security. It was really interesting. So where was the new blood coming in? And the other thing I found, and this I found through my my, um, I have been an adjunct professor in an MBA program. Um, that isn't my career. I do it as a service. And I found that learning is always in the rearview mirror. Education's always in the rearview mirror. So this idea of where are the new ideas emerging from and how do I harness them? Where are they curated? Do I have to find them on my own? So this combination of finding new blood into the security industry, giving them a, a basic foundation, but also at the same time, this notion of also where is the where are the innovations occurring? Is there a school for innovative new thinking instead of just what has been tried and true? Uh, that that's interesting to me too. So. Uh, it's no wonder that on LinkedIn one day I was I uh, came across um, a gentleman with who who's a security risk practitioner who has a, a master's in applied psychology. Yes, you know the idea of actually uh, solving business problems combined with his technical and his extended experience in the risk space. Uh, and he is throwing out this notion that maybe what we have to do is start curating that kind of knowledge and creating a foundation for new blood in the industry. So welcome, Travis Lishak, who, uh, to the great conversation. Thank you, Travis, for joining us.
Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here and um, honored that you would have me. I'm looking forward to a great conversation here. Well, we, we've we already had several because I wanted to dive deep into this, mm -hmm. but I, I got to tell you, you're right. This is going to be unscripted and we'll see where it goes, but let's let's start with your background, your unique background that allowed you to see this and begin to take action on it. What's your background, Travis? Absolutely. So starting first with my intro to security back in 2009, I was going to community college, was a little bored. So joined the Marine Corps Reserve serving in military police. So that was out of Miramar, California. And while I was doing that, I was going to school, earned my bachelor's degree, eventually started working in high net worth protection, working for a private family. And I was actually really, I was very lucky in that role because I had a great coach and a great mentor that kind of guided me down the right educational paths. And we could talk a little bit more about that. But following that role, I started working in security technology, working in the protective intelligence investigative space, working working with designing software for corporate investigative teams, and working with the Fortune 10, 100, 500 in solving some of their challenges. And then from there, I went on to my current place of work with Rosen Security, where I'm a senior consultant helping our, helping our clients solve uh, really like broad physical security challenges. So starting with risk assessments and then diving deeper into some of their some of their niche challenges. And as you mentioned, one of my big projects today, so I have a project called the Security Student Podcast. And the big focus there, my goal is really helping some of the helping two two groups, really younger practitioners who may not really understand the full breadth of security roles and challenges and projects that they could be involved in. But then two, also educating my fellow practitioners who are just like me. Maybe they have 10, 12, 15, 20 years of experience, but maybe they just haven't been, um, maybe they haven't dove into some of these ideas that I talk about on the podcast with people from a whole range of backgrounds. So that's just a, a quick little bit about me. Well, it um, for you to be able to launch a podcast and create a great conversation of your own around things we can do to improve the risk resilience security industry is, is fantastic. Um, let's dive in, though, to the nature of this idea that you've already begun to develop. Uh, I opened up with in the in this great conversation with the idea of curating innovation because there's already mm -hmm. classes right going on today for certification that mm -hmm. is the tried and true if you will and you know you can get certified in this discipline uh, but you're talking about something a little different right so there's lots of formal programs today about security we could think about it in the academic context in the context of vocational training and there's so many areas of improvement there. For example, I was reading a great piece that was written by a gentleman named Tony Ridley recently, and he did a he did an analysis comparing different security master's level programs, where he was looking at the core curriculums, uh, how in depth they were, 
And one of his big findings was that there is such a lack of consistency among security academic programs. So there's absolutely an area of improvement there. And then even in a conversation I had last year with a computer science PhD who's designing Udemy security curriculums that are being seen by hundreds of thousands of people, he was telling me how so many people can go earn a degree in computer science and they may never see any type of security course. So we wonder, hey, why isn't security built into some of these products that we use day to day? But there's one example right there. And then even as we think about vocational programs, there's lots of vocational programs. We have those that are held by the professional industry organizations. And then there's hundreds, if not thousands of vocational courses that are held by smaller groups. And then also when it comes to vetting some of those programs, that's increasingly difficult, especially for younger or less experienced practitioners who are just coming into a new space. So trying to step back and look at things broadly with the academic programs and the vocational programs, we have like a rough scaffolding that's available, but I feel like there's so many gaps that exist there. We really need something something less formal, less structured to kind of go in and fill some of those gaps. And that's really one, one of my goals with the projects that I'm working on. Well, although you just made a case that or Ridley made the case that there's a lack of consistency in current academic programs and in the vocational programs, um, it's difficult to get a sense of how current they are, how correct they are. There's a difficult vetting process because there's so many of them in similar and dissimilar groups. So how, how do you avoid um, basically making the same mistakes? That's a great question. And this is a project that I'm actively figuring out all the elements for. So lately I started my initial draft for running a survey that I could run among corporate corporate security managers and then other security managers, just so I could get a feel for as they work with newer practitioners entering the industry, whether they're younger or maybe they're transitioning military or law enforcement, really the survey would help to identify those gaps in their experience and education that are that have the most relevance for everyday operations. So this is a project that I'm actively beginning to put the pieces together. And I could see in the next month or two, um, a larger organization getting behind it and funding it. And then we could run the survey from there because I think, I think it's so key to understand the everyday security managers challenges in how, how their teams are coming to them being prepared or less prepared in the work that they're doing day to day. So that's really that's really my goal so that I could get the most specific information there. Well, this is where your your master's degree comes in with that industrial organizational background if you will, uh which is all about, you know, the the study 
of how people communicate and act on mm. that communication in either a functional or dysfunctional way. <laughs> I, 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 all you I oh guys, be be nice to me. I just kind of gave a quick overview of it. But I'm I'm looking at it more from a functional standpoint. Is this you see this as a for-profit or non-profit organization? So I know there's advantages and disadvantages of both. For nonprofit, it could be purely focused on the mission. For profit, possibly generate more revenue that can continue building other aspects of the business. So I haven't quite decided on that yet. And then I think uh, that'll be to be determined. Yeah, obviously, in a business model, you have to figure out how it's uh, how it's funded, mm-hmm. and uh, and what the compelling. Uh, value proposition is mm-hmm. for that investment. Uh, so mm-hmm. that could be anything from uh, a community source funding. Um, and mm-hmm. you know what I'm referring to uh, that we've seen a lot over the last 10 years, uh, or it could be a nonprofit trust organization saying, we really need this in, in this mm-hmm. um society at this point in time, mm-hmm. or it could be a for-profit enterprise because people want to get behind it because they see such a compelling need that it actually has an investor value proposition. So who's helping you? Are you crowdsourcing that path to value, if you will? Where mm-hmm. where do we want to go from here? Are you asking them? Are you trying to get a sense of what community would be most interested in launching this? Mm. Yes. So today it really is a crowd effort of lots of security practitioners, security experts, really the people that are most passionate about security getting behind it, where they'll share their time to do a podcast, to put together resources, to answer my crazy questions about you name the topic. So today, really the support's coming from a a group of the most passionate security practitioners, But in the future, I could definitely see potentially teaming up with the right professional organizations or the right right security organizations that want to sponsor it. But really, the most important aspect there is going to be staying consistent with the mission and not letting it become something new or letting that change dramatically. Yeah, I I, I almost think... You're at some point you're going to need some kind of editorial committee, a standards mm-hmm. committee to vet right. these different ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Before you begin to curate them and put them out there. Uh, have you thought through that as well? Yeah, when it comes to the editorial aspect, so typically, typically before I put out like any significant resource, such as some of the resource libraries that I've curated and shared online. And I think you'll be including those links in the show notes. Generally, before putting those out, I'll go to a group of people and I'll, I might work up an initial draft and then I'll share that with them, get their feedback, see what am I missing here? What did I skip over? Does anything here not make sense? Um, I'll get a second round of feedback, create a final draft, and then get one more final round of feedback, just so I can make sure the resources that I'm sharing are the most relevant, that they're the easiest to consume, and that really so that the average user coming to any of these resource libraries, so that they could understand where to get started if they just don't have the context for evaluating what's available. You know, um, 
I always like to ask this question, but first I'll make a statement leading up to the question. One, um, you're already successful because you started a great conversation with some pretty unique people out there because I have been following the conversations and I've seen some of the people on there, highly Thank respected you. people. So obviously you're starting a movement. We're at the very beginning of it. Mm. Now I'm going to ask you, and by the way, everyone knows I have unscripted conversations. So poor Travis, he has to answer these <laughs> questions. But um, but um, let's look into the future. You you can tell me when if you'd like, but I'm not going to put a time frame on it. But look into the future. What I want you to do is describe what success looks like in this effort. Tell mm. me what it looks like. I think success looks like two things. First, success is being able to provide the average practitioner or the average person that has an interest peaked in security, being able to provide them the resources that they need so that they could go about earning their own self-directed education in security. Essentially, ever since a while ago, must have been almost 10 years ago, I stumbled across this website called Khan Academy. And their idea is completely revolutionary. And so there's a gentleman named Saul Khan. He essentially created this online library of educational videos across, you name the discipline, from K K-12 through college level, mathematics, economics, uh, any college prep you could think of. So he essentially made all of these different educational aspects available to anyone for free. So ever since I stumbled across something like that, I've just always kind of wondered in the back of my mind, why, why isn't this available for other types of education? And of course, since security is on my brain, security being one of them. So the big thing that I want to come out of this is just to have that the resources available to give someone the path so that they could earn their own self-directed education and security. And of course, education isn't just uh, reading PDFs online or listening to podcasts. Of course, it's going out and practicing, but the foundation of having the right resources to direct your thinking and to really give you the projects that you could go out and apply in the real world. I think it all starts with having the right libraries of resources and then even the right perspectives from other practitioners out there. So part of that is the podcast, helping people better understand how a security director at the largest telecoms company in the US looks at security or what skills they think are most relevant for practitioners, all the way to having very concrete resources that users can comb through or Maybe if they're trying to solve a particular problem at work, they could go there and seek some type of structured advice from a legitimate source, like a standard from the DOD or from a professional organization. Um, and then if I could add one more point to that, I think another goal, maybe this is uh, a little more delusional, I think would be to help design more structured and practical security curriculums when it comes to the academic field. So that would be an amazing end goal, but I'd, 
those would be the three areas that I'm aiming for. No, that is terrific, Travis. The um, If that's what success would look like, what does the next year have with that in mind? What's the mm. next year scaffolding that you'll be creating? So over the next year, I think really the there's kind of two foundations that are working in sync here. First, it's maintaining consistent podcasts with expert practitioners so that we could all hear their big ideas. We could hear about trends that are taking place, what they're seeing in the workplace, uh, skills that they think are going to be the most valuable, or maybe a skill that doesn't exist today that they see uh, something to forecast. So first, it's maintaining consistent podcasts with those experts so that we could gather their ideas on the latest. And then two, it's collaborating with those same guests on the podcast and other experts in the industry to create resource libraries that are available to anyone on the internet. So it's really working in those two areas that will help build the foundation for future projects, such as taking a closer work, a closer look, or trying to certify university level curriculum and ensure that they're in line with what everyday security leaders expect from their teams and the work that they're doing. So interesting, because if you can maintain a consistent level of podcasts and um, you're able, especially with the new tools around AI, to begin to create a, um, a consistent and highly efficient curation process from mm -hmm. those podcasts. And then you combine that with uh, subject matter expertise to augment it and expand it. Um, mm -hmm. This could happen quicker than we all think, right? Yeah, definitely. And I've been using more AI tools in some of my processes for mm -hmm. everything from content creation to just looking back at past episodes. And I'll give you one quick example. So just using something simple, like just using a tool like ChatGPT, I can upload a transcript from a podcast that I did a year and a half ago and say, hey, tell me five mem or three memorable high impact quotes that came out of that conversation, or give me 10 big ideas, or just give me a list of all of the books, TED Talks, lectures that were mentioned. So using a tool where it takes about 10 minutes just to upload a transcript and copy and paste that prompt, you can walk away with some fantastic information. So after you listen to the podcast, you could do something like that or just go to my show notes. And then you could walk away with the biggest ideas there and you have your own little recap. So I'm definitely been using some AI tools there. And then also in generating some simple slide decks that give highlights of big ideas that happen in some of the podcasts. And I think those have been very shareable and also helping spread the word a bit. Yeah, it'd be interesting too, back to my mention of getting new blood into the industry, mm -hmm. finding in that process, like you said, your core market today are existing people in the industry um, who are already in it. But wouldn't it be mm -hmm. interesting if you can create some hooks there to young minds who are entering that 
that professional path, if you will, mm -hmm. and you can hook them early on some of the, the main benefits of this industry. Right. And that's one really big opportunity to grow. So, so far in doing the podcast, I believe I've interviewed two or three people that are either full-time professors or adjunct professors with different educational programs. And over the coming year, I see that being as one big way to expand, which is one, getting more input from them, including more, more people working in academia on the security side, including more of them in the conversations. And then also that leads to more opportunities with our content being shared with those younger professionals or even those younger professionals maybe sharing their input and their feedback to also help shape some of these resources that I'm making available. Well, it's so funny. If you can, here, here's the holy grail. If you can take the knowledge, existing knowledge, in the risk resilient security space, the curation of knowledge, both uh, what's been applied and certified and what is emerging, if you can curate that knowledge, and then here's the holy grail, you can convince the business schools how to weave in mm -hmm. that into their curriculums. So mm -hmm. you, you know, the success at the end would look like this. I'm sitting at an executive management team meeting mm -hmm. on the future strategy of the company and the business goals for 2024. And I want my security guy at the table. Mm -hmm. I want that perspective because it'll give me competitive advantage and also risk mitigation in the opportunities I decide to take a shot at. So that would be that would blow up everything that would disrupt the current models today because now we have silos of excellence and a lot of times the risk resilient security function is embedded somewhere under another function right right and yeah that's such a great point too about how there tends to be a lack of inclusion when it comes to sick the security representatives, the security leaders being on boards of directors, being in the executive leadership team meetings. And I have a feeling too, <clears throat> kind of like a tertiary advantage of me following these projects. I think one of those advantages will also be helping elevate our profession. So there's other organizations that are doing this today, such as the Board of Executive Protection Professionals, where they're looking at a niche aspect of security and asking, why don't we have any standards here for evaluating the people that are doing this work? Because without a lot of standards and with, with users, I say users, without executives that really understand security, how can we expect them to hire the right security leaders into those organizations? So I think one thing that could come out of this project is really elevating the work that from the lowest level security practitioner, slowly up to the top, elevating the work that they do, creating better perception of them as security becomes something more professionalized. Because I have a feeling if you're in one of the executive meetings and you directed a question at the chief legal officer and then the security leader, I imagine one of those would have a lot more weight than the other in the average boardroom today. So I think bringing more uh, 
increasing the level, the pers- the way that people perceive it, and increasing the prestige of the security profession. I think those are all outputs that could really come out of this as well. Yeah, it's interesting about prestige, right? Um, I think, I think my here's what I would bet on. If I if I can take these emerging leaders and teach them how to connect everything they do to an organizational goal, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to have to worry about prestige. That will come from infusing the system mm-hmm. to diffuse the cultural mores that dictate those boards today. Mm-hmm. It all starts with performance. And until until this profession begins to do that on a regular basis, I mean, it's just becomes normal, then we won't be able to achieve that prestige. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. And that was actually a big topic at GSX for one of the presentations I attended. Um, If anyone's familiar with uh, Bruce McKendo, he made a great presentation and that was exactly what he was saying. He was tying the work in security to very specific business objectives. And to summarize his claim, Really, it was that we need to tie all of our security work to very tangible objectives for the business so that the leaders of the business can understand and really see the value that security is adding. And a big piece of that is security practitioners like me also integrating that into our philosophy so that that's the way that we think. We're not thinking in terms of technical jargon that no one wants to listen to, it's going to have to come back to us tying everything to a very tangible goal objective of the business. And it's so funny, just, you know, if you remember way back, ASIS, the for those people outside the security industry, which is the largest security organization on the planet mm-hmm. that's invested in the certification courses we've been referring to, uh, came up with a standard called the chief security officer, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the goal was uh, to teach the business leaders to give us that title and that prestige around it, right? Only problem is we gave them the title, but they still weren't on the executive management team. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it goes back to performance, right? Mm-hmm. Performance will get you to the table. This has really been a great conversation, Travis. Um, I'm going to in the um, in the podcast notes and on my blog link to your physical security resource library and your podcast, which is again called the Security Student, and hopefully that will help increase the awareness around your efforts here. Any last words for us, Ron? I really appreciate your support, and really my last words. If anyone else wants to join, participate, collaborate, or contribute in any way, large or small, I'm very easy to get a hold of on LinkedIn. So please reach out, send me a direct message, and let's connect. Ron, I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation with Travis Lishock.